Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. It's Tony here, your career bestie, your leadership bestie, and the lady who is here to make sure that you succeed in every aspect of your leadership dreams. Yes, self-proclaimed, but I'm here for it. (laughs) I hope you're doing splendidly. I am sharing with you today a fabulous conversation with the amazing Jen Hunter. Jen is a two-time entrepreneur, self-proclaimed nerd who doesn't love one of those, and she loves to get lost in a big Excel spreadsheet. She's just a great woman to have around, and she might not be a tech head, but she speaks our language. (laughs) So Jen is all about finding inefficiencies. It's something that I talk a lot with my clients, and this is why Jen has been so successful in being a two-time entrepreneur, because she's really good at telling a story with her data analysis that helps find value for the people she's working with, which is what we all need to be doing as leaders, right? She has been called a workaholic a time or two. You're going to hear a little bit about that in today's episode. However, when she's not at the computer, she can be found camping, mountain biking, or really anything outside with her family. She's a boy mom with two under twos and makes every effort to challenge hindering and harmful gender norms. Who doesn't speak that language listening to this podcast, hey? During her first role in the oil and gas industry, Jen worked for a fabrication contractor as an entry-level estimating coordinator. She quickly moved in and up the ranks within this organization thanks to a great leadership, both the leadership that she demonstrated and also some leaders above her, as well as her willingness to ask questions to gain a deep understanding express her own eagerness to grow her own scope, something that we could all do more of, right? And also in collaborating with other departments to ensure cohesion. A few years later, after some tremendous growth, she was offered the opportunity to buy into a growing construction company where she was a co-founder. She managed payroll, finance, and was responsible for estimation. And initially it was a side hustle, but then it turned into a full-time role. She grew that to a $1 million business in eight months. Wow, right? (laughs) And decided to pivot from field operations to something where she was, her and her co-founder were way more passionate about auditing construction projects. A little bit out of what we typically talk about today, but I tell you, this woman has some amazing insights to share with you. She quickly realized with her co-founder that they could automate an audit process and move deep audit from post-project and payment to real time, which is where the tech piece comes in. Yes, this lady might not be a techie, that she's brought tech to an industry, the construction industry, which is notoriously (laughs) untechy. So today her product is being deployed across mills in Western Canada to manage contracted services billing. Her products improve accuracy, transparency, and communication between facilities and contractors, ensuring pay is fair and accurate for everyone. What's not to love? You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, This is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome, Jen. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast. Thank you, Tony. I'm so excited to be here. Fabulous. 
I'd love for you to start by sharing your personal story, your career history, and how you came to be the COO of Pay Shepherd. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to uh, get into that. So about 2014, I would say I started my career in uh, the construction industry. I had recently got home from traveling. Um, I was I was away from home for about a year. And I moved uh, with my boyfriend at the time to a small town that was very heavy in industry. And I started um, as an administrative coordinator uh, on an estimating team. And when you work on an estimating team, um, you're wrapping up all the uh, administrative details and, and submitting estimates on behalf of a manufacturing construction company. Um, with that, I got to sit in a room, um, often large parts of the day with great minds um, and be exposed to everything about construction. And so I really soaked up that opportunity and they were amazing resources uh, for my learning. I think I really took something that's a natural um, ability of mine to uh, quickly grasp con complex uh, concepts and kind of buzz around and learn about uh, the different departments and really what the inner workings were for um, making a construction bid come to life in, in execution. That's really cool. That's really cool. So what happened after you did that? So the company was going through an incredible amount of growth. And uh, thanks to that growth, I quickly grew my responsibilities. And I, I was soon leading teams and really expanding my scope. So I, I think what helped me to get there was um, the leadership team was very encouraging of me asking any questions anytime I didn't understand a term uh, or you know some, some type of construction widget. Anything that I didn't recognize, um, I just asked. And um, that was both encouraged and rewarded. So the more I asked, the more uh, they brought me in and really uh, explained things, took me out to the field. So I really understood what what was going on uh, in construction. And I just soaked it up. And I the, the world of building things was coming alive to me. Um, and so one of those uh, great mentors that I had is actually my current co-founder. Um, it, it's our second business together. And uh, he transitioned out of that company uh, to start his own construction firm uh, doing industrial insulation. Um, and as he did that, uh, he asked me if I'd like to join. Um, and I joined both uh, financially and uh, as part of the, the management team, but while still keeping my full-time job. So it was all a side hustle. Um, I definitely don't think that he asked me to join in, in that journey. Um for the financial aspect, because what I invested definitely didn't de-risk um, that move a whole lot. Um, but what he really was looking for was somebody he knew was going to be down in the trenches with him, um, sharing in the stress uh, and also sharing in the reward and, and just having fun along the way on a great learning opportunity. And I learned a lot. Um, so I went from working on teams, uh, doing estimating and, and really focusing on project controls and billing. And at that small construction company, uh, then I was running payroll. I was managing the finances, really managing the cash flow, which was one of the biggest learnings about running your own business. And in the construction industry, that um, that cash flow is super critical because you have very small margins. Um, we bid all of our projects on lump sum. So we carried the payroll and the cost of materials um, you know, long after or for, for a long time before we were ever getting paid by our customers. So um, we were able to grow that company, you know, up to a million in revenue in, in a short time. And um, from there, we 
transitioned from that company into something we were more passionate about, um, which was managing vendors and auditing cost. And that's how we came to um, Pay Shepherd. Well, so tell us a little bit about Pay Shepherd and what it means to you to be COO. So Pay Shepherd started as a, a corporation called Project Recapture. And at that time, uh, we actually started the business to do manual construction audits. So similar to the big six accounting firms that will come in after a project is complete and review every bit of paper um, and find um, where the owner was potentially overbilled. Um, we started doing that. And what we quickly realized is we would often find huge value for our customers to go back and reclaim. Um, but they often took it in their back pocket as a learning and a, and a way to move forward and, and do it better on the next project. And we really wanted to get in there and be able to make a meaningful impact. So we we pivoted into a technology uh, to see if we could move that audit process from after the project is complete to uh, before any of the costs are even getting approved or, or getting paid. Um, and so that's what our tool uh, Pay Shepherd does is audit the the, the billing, the day to day hourly billing before anything is approved or an invoice is created. Cool, that's very cool. So, well, you said um, as you were describing your journey um, that your co-founder wanted you down in the trenches with him. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to him? And how does that align with the success you've seen in your career? What that means is when we work together for that bigger manufacturing company, it was often um, like him and I and the ownership group and a couple other go-getters or uh, workhorses, we, we like to call them, that were often staying late, making sure things were happening. Um, we weren't just there for the nine to five. We really cared about um, the success of the business and, and the success of our part in that. And it's it's rare I've seen now to come across um, employees that care as much as you do about the company. And so because that leadership team saw that in me and because he saw that in me, he knew that I was someone he'd like to bring along on that journey. That's fascinating because the other thing I want to dig into a little bit is what it's like to be a mom to two very young children and including a newborn. So congratulations. And doing this because a lot of the time, as women, we struggle to have that balance between I really care about this, but I can't put my entire life into this company because I have a family at home. And as you and I both know, actually, working longer hours doesn't actually necessarily improve productivity, especially when you're wiped out from having young children. So how do you juggle that? How do you have that passion and care for the business that you rightly say is it's actually missing in a lot of people, which is a real shame because I think when you have that passion extraordinary things happen, right? How do you have that and also at the same time have good work-life balance? Have the time for your kids, have the time for your family. How do you manage that? Well, I have to say that, um, you know, it, you can't do it without help and and you need to, if it's something that you want to do, um, it is a sacrifice. Um, I don't get to spend as much time with my kids as say their grandma does or or my husband does, um, but it's because I've made a choice to bring to life a business and that I've committed to it, um, you know, before the kids were kind of even in the picture. And so I have a team of partners that I had committed to. Um, and when I became pregnant with my first son, I had intended to take a little bit of time off and, and actually, um, you know, quote unquote, uh, have a mat leave. Um, but when you're in a business, 
things change and you're not in control of everything. So I actually, we actually got a, a contract that we've been waiting for for quite a long time at Pay Shepherd uh, while I was in the delivery room with my first. And so the plan quickly changed. Uh, my husband ended up taking per, some parental leave uh, so that I could jump back into work um, probably about a week after my first son was born. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, it became kind of a habit. So you become super efficient um, at using the, the work hours that you have in the day. I know they say like breastfeeding is a full-time job. Um, so I was doing that while also working. And you can kind of do it with one hand, not so much hands-free. <laughs> but um, so, you know, I'd be typing away or be on a call um, and have, you know, a, a child in my lap, which at that time was very like hush hush, you know, he can't make a peep. I don't want anyone to know, but um, you know, one of the positives I've seen through um, the COVID transition into business life is that children around um, has been much more uh, like common practice and much more acceptable, which I'm very thankful for uh, with my second. Yeah, I think that is, is touching the point. I, I love the fact that your husband was able to step in like that. I'm going to ask you a really tough one. Do you have any regrets? Do you wish you'd done anything differently? Or are you just like, I made the right choices. I have multiple babies. I have my business. I have my children. Obviously, they're not comparable, right? Mm-hmm. But do you regret that at all? Because I think a lot of women are scared of regretting the choices they're going to make. It's hard. And I deal with guilt daily about it, but I don't mm. regret it at all. Um, I really try to be present when I'm with my kids. Um, and it's tough sometimes, but I know that what I'm working towards, I hope that by the time that they're old enough to remember how, um, uh, how approachable or how like involved I am, I'll be able to take that time away and really focus on them and, and have some some pieces in the background, making sure that everything at Pay Shepherd is covered. You know, we're in the process of growing our team now uh, already, almost doubled the size of our team uh, in the last couple of months. And so I already see those um, resources that are put in place benefiting the time I have with my family. And I can only imagine um, how much more time I'll be able to take with them in a couple of years when it's really important to them and they're really getting those first memories. Yeah, I love the fact that you said it's about the quality of the time you have with them. I think that's something we we don't admit to ourselves. It's the same with every family member, not just our children. You can spend 24 hours of a day with somebody, but if it's not quality, it's not as good as spending half an hour of really high quality time. And I think that helps us deal with the guilt around this. I also love that you shared that you were breastfeeding. I mean, yes, you were trying to hide it now, hopefully not so much. But I mean, I have clients who will want to get to know me and I'm like no no this is fine but they will breastfeed on a call with me and I'm like I have no problem with that like that's just let's just deal with it I think society needs to be far more accepting of this is how it is um and there's nothing to be ashamed of and equally there's nothing wrong with a woman choosing to take a whole year off for maternity or choosing to go straight back I think we judge everybody so much like whatever you do you're judged there is no right or wrong except doing the wrong thing for yourself and I love that your husband in particular has been so supportive of allowing you to go and achieve your dreams so that, you know, and, but it's still working for the family. That is just such a wonderful thing to hear. And I want everybody listening to this podcast to be inspired by that. There is no right or wrong. There is nothing wrong with going back straight away if that's what you need to do for you. There is nothing wrong with being a stay at home mom if that's what you need to do. The only wrong path is the one where you judge yourself for it. 
Sorry. Thank you so much for sharing that bit with us. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about women having choices <laughs> around this. I'd love to touch on that. Um, I just want to say out there to all the women, it, it, somebody has to stay home with the children. It's not like you can, um, you know, just go downstairs to your office or, or step away uh, while you have children at home. And so you, you either have to take it on yourself and, and that's a choice that we can all make, or um, you ask for help or it becomes more common practice for the, the parental units to actually discuss who's going to do that. Uh, it doesn't need to always just fall on the woman because she was the one who birthed the child. Um, you know, we're very fortunate here in Canada to have a long um, opportunity to take time off. Um, but here in Canada, a woman can take the entire year um, and have employment benefits. Uh, but five weeks are actually reserved for a man. So a woman couldn't even take them. So if he doesn't take them himself, you lose out on them. And I think that's incredible. Um, my husband took a lot more than that on our first, and he's taking the five weeks on our second. And so, um, you know, I have help from both my husband and um, my mom. Uh, so somebody's always with the kids. I, it's not like you can um, go and 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 not have somebody taking care of them. Yeah. So just share with the audience, how old is your second child right now? Uh, he's seven weeks. So I wow. was back at work full time three days after delivery. Um, and I'm back to working probably almost 12 to 14 hour days uh, currently <gasps> with him, just with how wow. uh, busy we are at the moment uh, going through um, a deployment with uh, one of our customers. So I knew it was going to line up that way. And it seems that the business takes incredible growth as I have children. So my partners have, um, they've, they've definitely supported that I could have a few more this year, even. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I would always advocate that we shouldn't be working 12, 14 hour days. I don't think that's productive. I, I also know what it means to run a business. And sometimes you feel like you just have to go all in, but, um, it's extraordinary that you're doing that seven weeks after delivery. Simply extraordinary. Um, so let's dig into you and your experience a little bit more. And um, before we hit record, we've been talking a little bit about what you do. And you told me that you have a, a passion for using data and data analytics to improve performance and also to normalize the use of data in your industry. Tell us a little bit about that and why you think your industry needs more data usage. Um, I would say the construction industry is one of the, the later industries to adopt technology. And, and as you adopt that technology, you do get an opportunity to explore that data. Um, I really enjoy data because I think it makes things so much more efficient. So rather than going out, stepping into the, the field or a laydown yard and, and counting all the materials you have to make sure you can execute a project, you can use your order summaries or, or bulk orders that clients have given you um, to compare. And so one of the things that I am very skilled at is taking a couple of different sets of data and normalizing it so that you can use it together to tell a story. That's something that I really enjoy. And as I become more proficient at running a business, I see the benefits of actually allowing data to help you make your decisions rather than your preconceived notions or, or, or using your gut or even um, how you perceive uh, action happened. If you actually let the data tell you then you're going to be much more successful in the future because um, those little things can change here and there. And it actually changes how you interact with your prospects or your customers. I, I can get lost in a, in a sheet or an Excel spreadsheet um, very quickly and look up and the hours have gone by. Um, and I just really enjoy that. It's kind of a nerd in me as I just push up my glasses here. 
<laughs> I love that you're bringing that to an industry which has been, I mean, I've seen it in the, in the construction industry just when you know we're trying to do stuff around like DIY we taken on some fairly big DIY projects um in my house here and we'd go to our construction yard to order materials and they just the idea of doing anything other than face-to-face sales is like alien to them uh, the construction industry does seem to be very antiquated and I feel like the parts of the construction industry that actually wake up to technology would grow really fast because the rest of the world's like if I can't order it online and choose my delivery slot and have everything, you know, why does everything have to be a negotiation? The construction industry is very still much one of the industries where um, even for small items, you're expected to negotiate. The ticket price is not what anybody pays. And that's just not what the rest of the world is now doing. We're just like, we just want to know the answer. We don't have time for all of that. And so I love that you're helping move the industry forward. They can catch up with the rest of us. It was a bit harsh, but that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think there was probably you know, a lot of people who are around business um, investors, things like that, they'll, they'll ask, you know, if, if there's so much benefit, then how come it hasn't happened already? Um, And I think the, in construction industry and um, the pulp industry where we're focused on right now, um, there's a lot of challenge around um, adopting technology and instigating change. I think it has to do with um, the type of people who are in the decision-making positions or, um, you know, working in the field. And I think that just the general nature of how often construction changes, um, you know, all the unknowns around scope, especially in the maintenance world where you don't get an opportunity, you can plan what you think something's going to take, um, but it's not until you kind of uh, open things up and really get a chance to look at that and, and turn equipment and machinery off that you see the real picture and so it needs to be very uh, flexible and I think um, something that's going to make the the digital transformation shift in technology uh, in construction is uh, COVID it's had a huge effect and I think that um, it'll change the way they do business going forward so we're at a very critical time when we entered um, that digital transformation with our clients. So you've also said um, again, I think this is something that we talked about before we hit record. You said to me, when I commit to something, I really commit. And I think this ties in a little bit with how you're able to move into this new industry, as well as how you're able to juggle being a co-founder, COO with newborn babies. Like, what do you mean by that? What do, and why do you think that has helped you stand out and get to where you are today? What does it mean to really commit? think it needs to be aware of what you're capable of uh, and aware of what you say you're going to do and and I mean that as as simple as down to the to saying you'll get back to somebody either in an email or call the next day or you know Monday next week to actually make that call um and I and you know as large as you say you're going to take on a task and it takes a lot longer than you expected it would, which is often the case when you're working with data or always working with something new. Um, and personally, I don't go to bed the night before I have something due unless I'm comfortable with it because the next day you never know what's going to come up and, and interrupt you um, and you might not be able to get it finished. So I make sure that uh, it's it's due or it's, it's complete um, before that um, is due. And if that means that I don't get a chance to go to bed when I thought I would, or, you know, I want to give up at a certain point. Um, I just don't. And just recently this week, um, that was the case. I, I ended up working late into the night to do 
two different things I had committed. And I was worried that they weren't going to make an impact the next day and that it wouldn't have been worth it. But I genuinely saw the relief that it, it gave to those two different people I committed to. And that made it worth it for me. Uh, and that's what, how I've been in my career um, all the way along. Yeah, I think that's it's really interesting because I think one of the things we need to do as senior leaders for people to have faith in us, whether we're going, getting promoted in somebody else's organization or if you are a co-founder, where you need your co-founders to have belief and faith in you and your customers at an early stage startup, your customers' faith in you is so imperative, like it, it's essential. And that commitment, that turning up, I mean, I don't come down working into the night, by the way, but I do completely understand that don't wait until the morning, you never know what's going to turn up. Um, I work with a lot of my clients on dealing with the fire, the firefighting. I actually prefer to call it matters arising because I think the firefighting puts us in the wrong mindset. Um, you have to be aware that as a senior leader, whether you are like in the C-suite or just below that, you will have things every single day that come up. And that's something that I think takes us by surprise before we've experienced it. And you have to plan for that. You have to recognize there are going to be a certain quantity of unplanned events every day. So plan for the unplanned. And therefore, doing that work and making sure that you can deliver on time. You can't do what you do early in your career, which is like, the deadline's at 2 p.m. I'll finish it off at 1.59. Great, I've got time. It doesn't work that way at our level. So I love that you shared that. You know, I hope that you can get to the point where you are not working crazy hours. <laughs> but I think that's, that's a really good point to share with the listeners. You've also shared with me, though, which I think is aligned with this, that you've always been hungry and you've always been asking questions. You touched on that earlier on when you introduced yourself as well. Why do you think that you're like that? And how do you see that as a valuable trait that's helped you get to where you are today? I definitely see it as valuable. Um, as, I, as I've hired people within our team and, and see that same eagerness and drive um, in them, um, I can see how mu- how it must have been perceived uh, with myself, and you know, as as owners uh, of a company, as executives as of a company, you have so many responsibilities, and you need those people to to be hungry enough to ask you for them, take the initiative on themselves, start even if they're fumbling a little bit, um, and then present something to you. So, and that's so important because when your plate is as full as it is and things are getting added to it and falling off, you sometimes don't have the time to, you know, mentor that person you wish you were able to, or uh, invest the time to transition it to somebody else successfully. And you kind of just end up doing it yourself um, by way of not having enough time. So if, when you have people who will ask to take those things off your plate or take the initiative to start them themselves um, and, and be really eager, that's what really allows you to let go uh, and when you've seen that that happens. That's really cool. Do you think it's ever held you back though? Do we see a negative to this always being hungry? Um, I think I, I have been called a workaholic once or twice, um, especially <laughs> at home. And I, I don't think it's held me back in my uh, professional world. I do think it's caused challenges um, with my family. Uh, but I think at that point then I need to give and take. And so I love that you talk about balance and that's so important for readers. Um, and the way I look at balance isn't in a day-to-day, it's over, you know, a cyclical time. And so if I have to put many, many hours in, in the short window, I get to reward myself and my family uh, 
um, by being being able to re- work remote, being able to join them on longer vacations because I can work from from anywhere and they get to enjoy you know that sort of um, change in their environment um, and and then just taking the time off with them as well and being able to let go because we've set something up well um, and we're able to see it succeed while while I can enjoy time with the family. So um, I like to kind of um, take little measurements of when I've put in a lot of time and, and when I've gave back a lot of time to the family. I absolutely love that you said that because I think there's this myth around work-life balance being like a perfect 40-hour week and always having your evenings and weekends and that's actually not true for us as leaders. I think the reality is sometimes we do need to go all in on one aspect. Sometimes it's our work, sometimes it's our personal life. If you've got somebody sick that you're caring for, sometimes you need to go all in on that too and other things drop and I think it's actually about understanding your ruthless priorities I talk a lot with people about what are your ruthless priorities right now? And they can be personal and they can be professional. And sometimes something will give a little bit. But because when you then do turn your attention to that thing, such as your family, because you've given a lot to your business for a while, like when you then do turn to your family, you're all in on that too. And I think that's a better way of understanding that mythical balance that we talk about. It isn't about doing a 40-hour week and always being present evenings and weekends. It is about being truly present when it's the right time for you and your business and your professional life and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we all understood that a little bit more and we obviously not everybody has the privilege that you and I do to have the support network to allow that to happen. And I hope all of us do get it, but I know not everybody does. But when we when we can put all those pieces together, that's when we do extraordinary things both professionally and personally right and show up as a I'm sure you're an amazing mother as well as an amazing co-founder just because of the way you're showing up right now thank you so I would love for you to share some of the mindset challenges you have experienced as a co-founder as a woman who's moved into tech also into a construction industry that's very male dominated what are some of the mindset challenges you've had to overcome and what are some of the opportunities that have gone along, gone along with that? One that I'm really focused on right now uh, is transparency. Um, I think that we have an opportunity to to really speak our mind and be confident in that. But also, if if we're not confident, to, to be transparent about that as well. So asking the questions, you know, making things more uh, general awareness, like how I mentioned the breastfeeding, like that's part of my life. And I'm not, I, I don't hide that from anybody. Um, you know, I, I'm actually on calls now with customers um, where I'm like, oh, sorry, like, you know, my seven week old is here is joining me. And so, um, you know, breaking down the barriers and making sh- like, I'm not concerned that they're going to think that, you know, I'm distracted because I've proven to them that I'm not and, and that I can do that multitasking. So I think, transparency can be something that we think about in every interaction that we make, even to the point of, you know, if you make a mistake that you own up to it, you're, you're accountable to it. And that you're thinking about what kind of checks and balances am I going to put into place to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's something um, in my career that was so important to my leadership is, you know, if, if something was uncovered, even if it was me, you know, I brought it up right away because I didn't know how it could affect other things down the line um, and knowing it was a mistake. And so, you know, thinking about how you can make sure that doesn't happen again in the future really 
changes the way that you can bring it up with your your management team. Also, when you when myself and my partners are are discussing things, um, you know, it's not always comfortable. And so we break down the barriers and we just say, hey, this is how I feel right now. Um, so that you get a chance to talk it out. It makes the relationship so positive um, and, and there's be so much trust when you can be vulnerable with each other. Um, and I'm starting to actually portray that to my customers. So I, I'm listening really hard and leaning into prospects. And if I'm not 100% sure what they mean by something, I just ask now. And so um, that leads me to make better business decisions. And it also is displaying to them, you know, my confidence that I am just able to ask and no one expects us to be mind readers. There's no, there's no shame in asking a question or confirming what you think to be true. And so I think if you could focus on that transparency piece, uh, it's going to go a long way. I love that you said that. Well, let's just talk a little bit about networking then because transparency and networking go hand in hand. And as a co-founder, you've probably had to do a lot of networking. And I know a lot of us struggle with this. So have you got any great networking tips for people? Networking is so interesting, especially the pre-COVID world. I I know, um, you know, going to events where you were meeting a whole bunch of new people, that kind of thing was absolutely exhausting for me. Like I could be mm. in a room of people that I didn't know for two hours and be more tired um, and, and kind of withdrawn than sitting at my desk and working alone for eight or 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, and, me too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's incredible. And so I'm not a big believer in that kind of general networking scene. Networking to me is um, relationship capital. And I really try to focus on relationship capital rather than networking. And what I mean by that is every interaction that I make with anybody, um, I want it to be genuine. And I want it to be natural. And so it's not like, oh, here's my business card and, you know, we should connect. And I think I could do this for you. And what can you do for me? It's really about what can I do for someone else, regardless of whether they can do anything for me and leaving every person I touch um, feeling like their value was added to them, because that's what really puts people in your corner. And there's nothing more valuable than having people in your corner that you can reach out to months down the line, because or years even, um, because, you know, they had a great feeling uh, when they interacted with you or, or when you worked with them, um, that they would be willing and happy to do it again in the future. Oh, I love that you said that, by the way, the value add bit is something most people don't understand is actually the core part of networking. So thanks for sharing that. Part of the networking we we did here um, in Calgary when we first got into that tech scene was really exploring um, the ecosystem and the Calgary um, rainforest is doing an excellent job at kind of trying to um, mimic um, the Silicon Valley ecosystem and how everyone helps each other. And so the networking um, event that you go to, everyone stands up and introduces themselves and has an ask and an offer. And so it's really about that offer. What could I do for you? And then anyone is able to come up and say, you know, I need that. And you offered it and you have to be committed to, to following through on it. And I've adopted that into my kind of everyday life. If, if I've ever asked somebody for something, I'm also offering something. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Well, so to help us wrap this up, Jen, I'd like to finish off with a leadership mindset moment. This is a um, a tip that I offer to the listeners at the end of each episode to help them adjust how they act or think on the topic of today's podcast. So I'd love for you to offer one highly actionable mindset shift that listeners can make to help them shift their careers, maybe step into being a co-founder or step into being COO one day. 
Yes, I would love um, for all the listeners out there to really think about their audience in everything that they do. And so whether you're making a presentation, whether you're working one-on-one with a colleague or or, um, presenting something to your leadership team, if you're thinking about your audience, the time that they have, what they're going to get value from, um, and focus on that. It's really not about what you think that everyone's going to benefit from. Think about it from their perspective. Each time I, I talk with a client or a user of our a software, um, I pick up the phone and call them. I always ask them if they have, if I've caught them at a good time, if they have a couple minutes to chat with me. And if you really respect that kind of time and, and what they're focused on, they're going to feel relief. And they're also going to be that much more um, happy to have that interaction with you. And then the other um, part of that is be prepared. So know exactly um, what you want to accomplish, what your objective is, and then study it, know it. And that's going to make give you the confidence you need to be able to raise your hand, ask a question, uh, get involved in those meetings, get involved with leadership, um, because you know your stuff and you're confident because you're, you're really well prepared. Oh, I just love that you said that. I mean, both understanding the audience, but also being the prepared for meetings. Because I see like many of us early on in our career, we're so like we're drowning in meetings and we kind of hate them. And so we just turn up to them. Um, And one of the shifts that we all have to make, whether it is as a co-founder of going out and networking with prospective clients, or it is just trying to step up for the next level in a corporate career, is that intentionality around how we show up to meetings. Because when we have an intention, when we're prepared, as you say, and we show up with that, the meeting goes faster. We get more out of it ourselves. The other side gets more out of it. It tends to be shorter. It tends to mean you need fewer meetings. So yes, you've done preparation, but you need fewer meetings to get the same amount of stuff done. And it's something that we don't talk about. Nobody tells anybody early on in their career, are you preparing for your meetings this week? We think that preparing for meetings is making sure we've ticked off our to-do list that we're supposed to be reporting on. And that's not what we're talking about here. So I love that you shared that because I really do see that being a game changer. And it's probably why you and your co-founders have been so successful compared to, and for you've seen many businesses that sadly aren't successful. I think it's that preparation piece because when you do that, you show up with your intended audience or in your case, prospective clients so differently. And that's when you blow them out of the water, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as I was reflecting on um, what we were going to chat about today and, and really looking back on my career, I think I can remember like a pivotal moment where I was invited to a meeting. I, w- I was in charge of a project controls team and we had a big ask from a client about what we were going to be reporting on. And I really dove deep. I got invited to the meeting by a senior management person. I had never been face to face with a client before. And I dived into exactly what we would need to do to be able to meet these reporting requirements. I I studied a lot. And so when I was brought to this meeting, I think there was hesitation not only on my part, but also on my management's part, because it was the first time I was face-to-face with a client. And I was able to converse with the people across the table because I really knew my stuff. And the first time I asked a question, it wasn't that comfortable. But when it was perceived exactly how I had intended it, and we were able to have a dialogue back and forth, and be able to come to some deliverables, my management team really grew that confidence in, in me and I grew the confidence in myself. And so I've never been shy, I think, since then to speak up and ask a question in a meeting, but also to be confident that I know my stuff. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, this has been inspiring. So where can people find out more about you, connect with you, find out more about your company? For sure. Um, Follow me on LinkedIn and uh, payshepherd.com is our website. And and you can find everything that you need to know there. We have an active blog and um, would love to, to connect on LinkedIn. Awesome. We will be making sure that those links, including your LinkedIn profile, are all linked in the show notes, which listeners, you can find in your favorite podcast player or over at tonycollis.com forward slash episode 47. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Have you any final thoughts, words of wisdom that you would like to share with the audience today? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for having me. And what I would really love for all the women out there listening um, is just break down any gender norms that you see. Um, make everyone aware of you know what you deal with uh, compared to your male counterparts or compared with other people in the industry, and also be aware of what they deal with. I think as we progress and and go through these transitions, gender norms are really breaking down. And it, it, just like my husband has been taking time off work, it doesn't need to be assumed um, who's going to play what part. We're all here at the table, um, and you just have to step up and ask if it's something that you want. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Doesn't Jen have some inspiring stuff to share with us all? I just loved everything I heard from her today. Hey, I see that about pretty much every guest, but then I do curate the women that come on this podcast fairly carefully. Not against having men on the podcast, by the way. If you're a gentleman listening and you'd like to come, send me your pitch. (laughs) I'm here to make sure that we all learn amazing lessons from every single person we have on this podcast. That is it for today's episode. Of course, go check out the show notes for all the links we've mentioned. And if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, make sure you go and leave a rating and review over on iTunes. I would greatly appreciate it. And of course, share this with anybody who you think might benefit from listening to today's episode. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leader game, my love. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.